What's up, everybody? We have 10-ish minutes here with Mr. Ryan Muckenhern across the table from Mark and myself, Jimmy on the mic here, and today we're going to talk about dope. And uh, that is East Dope, that East Coast Dope for that versus that West Coast Dope. Uh, maybe we should have gotten Dr. Dre on here as a guest. Uh, I don't think this is a medical situation. No, I don't either. Mm. Okay. Um, so <laughs> He'd probably have some insight. Anyway, uh, one of the... Uh, <laughs> he certainly would. One of the things that we know a lot of people like to talk about, those who live east of the Mississippi, is you know going on this western hunt. Ryan, that's something you do a lot. Mark, you do a lot. I've done. And uh, when we are in the area that we live most of the time, which you know being out east, we sight in our rifles, we get all this ballistic data on them, we put a chronograph to it. All this work goes into making sure that we can be accurate at various distances. We know, essentially... Uh, aside from maybe wind, that one's still a mystery, but we know what's going to happen to our bullet as it flies through the air and where we'll need to hold over, how much we'll need to dial. You've put in the work. Ah, yes. But then, then you go out west and everything's different because it's not the same. It's usually a higher elevation and other things within the atmosphere are, are quite a bit different. Yes. We live in a large, large country. Uh, it's grande. With, with a vast, uh, a vast set of environmentals and elevations and all that stuff. So, Ryan, what uh, what is it that you suggest somebody does who's in this situation? I mean, is all that work that they're doing over our east of the Mississippi, is it all for naught? Is no. It, is there even a point to it? It's super important. You have to do it anyway, right? We have to discover a baseline of exterior ballistics before we move forward with this. So, this is the time of year. And, in fact, just today, um, I had back-to-back calls. A couple of fellas getting ready to get ready to go out west. Uh, both were on extreme ends of the country. One, California, very low elevation. One, I didn't catch a state, but he said east coast. Accent supported the theory. <laughs> and they were getting ready to converge in the middle uh, and, and hunt out west. And they were hunting pronghorn and mule deer, respectively. And we were talking about ballistics, and I was running dope for them on their new rifles. And I'm in the same boat. So this time of year, I'm also thinking about doing this I know I won't pull it off until three days before I leave. But anyway, your weather is going to be different here this time of year than it will be when you're on your hunt. And so like here in South Central Wisconsin, we're about to hit a heat wave. It's going to be in the upper 80s to low 90s this weekend. It's going to be humid. It's going to be sticky. Your ammo is going to perform differently now than it is in October, November when you head out there. Uh, just, Just on weather alone and temperature alone. So this is something that we have to take into consideration. And then we should also factor in elevation and what that does to your trajectory. And and this is probably the biggest variable or the biggest change that'll occur that's going to affect your drop down range. So Mark and I do this every year, I suppose. We both go on a different hunt somewhere and, and we run tables at Vortex here at 1,164 feet elevation in our temp and humidity controlled range. And then we run it for a, like a mean or median uh, elevation at the place that we're going. Um, and that can be everywhere from Colorado to Alaska to Wyoming, Nebraska, wherever. Somewhere different than here. And the tables end up quite different. And it, it does pay off to do this homework ahead of time. So I came up with a couple of quick little examples of uh, cartridge and load that I run in a rifle. So this is real data and uh, atmosphere conditions for Barneveld, Wisconsin today. And a place I hunt in Wisconsin with some temperature and pressure changes, or excuse me, place I hunt in Wyoming with some temperature and pressure changes 
um, at the elevation that I hunt in Wyoming. Uh, so a little bit about it. It's 308 Winchester. It's 130 grain Barnes TTSX, leaving my muzzle at about 3145. Uh, zeroed at 200 yards here at Barneveld. My drop at 500 yards would be minus 7.25 MOA. What is our elevation at Barneveld here about, Ryan? 1164. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you may have mentioned A little bit above sea level. So I didn't do the sea level thing at 1164. Um, so 500-yard drop, uh, seven and a quarter. A uh, thousand yard drop, thirty and three quarter MOA. Now I'm not going to shoot to a thousand yards with this gun. Um, I'm not going to try to take a game animal like this, but for intensive purposes to represent how big this change can be, uh, this is important. If I simply go to my spot in Wyoming and change the temperature quite a bit, we go down to about forty degrees, which is probably the average when I'm hunting out there. Sounds about right. Uh, very dry air at about twenty five percent humidity. Same zero, same load, same rifle. My 500-yard drop is 6.75 MOA. So uh, I'm shaving off quite a bit right off the bat, about a half MOA at 500 yards. Not huge, but something to think about. When we get to 1,000 yards, we really see this change. Uh, I'm now 27, almost 27 flats, 27.07 MOA. Um, so 3 MOA difference at drop, which is pretty big. We start thinking about at a thousand yards what three MOA is going to look like. Mm-hmm. This is the difference between a hit and an absolutely flat miss. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. that is a significant difference. I mean, yeah, right. another reason why you know thousand yards for your hunting scenarios might not be realistic, but for those of us who are in you know PRS and NRL competition, it is a really big deal. I mean that uh, that discrepancy is huge. Yes, um, and even even still, what you mentioned at five hundred yards, a discrepancy of about a half MOA to mm-hmm. yeah half MOA or so. I mean, it could mean the difference at a 500-yard shot, which isn't all that uncommon out there to, to run into the potential for a good 500-yard shot. That's the difference between a good clean shot on game versus a gut shot, maybe. Yep. Uh, or just a shot that's not going to put it down as effectively. I'd say it's enough to not be ignored. Yes. Yeah. And and as you look at your, your loading, your particular loading for your rifle, if you've got a, a rifle that's got a pretty decent BC and, and velocity um, with the projectile you're firing out of it, this is going to lessen in impact, right? If if you're shooting a little bit slower cartridge with a little bit lower BC, this becomes much more dramatic. Right. And is it pretty dramatic, like with your 4570 when you go? Now you're not shooting that at tremendous dis- no. distances, but so that drops like a rock so bad that no amount of <laughs> <laughs> Um, I zero that rifle at like 200 to 250 yards with, with the irons in a hope that a 50 yard shot, I just have to aim low (laughs) and a 300 yard shot, I'd aim just a little high, Okay, but it's, it's bad that, that is, uh, that plummets to the earth quite, quite terribly, but it is important to, to take into consideration because your data at a low elevation is not your data at a high elevation. And it's also pretty easy to get into an analysis paralysis situation where you're worried that this will be the the end of your hunt if you if you don't take it into consideration take a look at it just compare the two take note of it i recommend printing off two charts if you're going to have just one print it for the spot that you're going to be because you're going to enjoy more success and a higher hit factor with that for sure you know and when we opened this up we kind of said you know east versus west right but we really more are talking about elevation like generally fairly low elevation out here yeah. uh you know in the east you know generally you know there are mountains and elevation differences in in certain areas and then out west but really conversely you know we're always talking about i think because of our proximity about going west going west going west 
that same guy probably wants to make an adjustment going east. Now, maybe less critical because our shots are generally a little bit closer, mm-hmm. but not always then as well. Mm-hmm. And this is only scratching the surface, too. The whole temperature thing is a, is a, a wildly different beast. Uh, but it is important to, to take into consideration. If you're doing low development, and we've talked about this at length on podcasts in the past, if you're doing low development in June and July and August, mm-hmm. with the intent of hunting October, November, December, these are very different things. And, and there's, there's ways to account for this, and there's ways to correct for this. And, and basically, you're, you're going to be chronographing your your ammunition at temperature that you would be hunting in, um, making notes and, and comparing the two, because there there will very likely be a stark contrast depending on your powder. Some are much more temp stable than others. In your muzzle velocity, you're saying? Yes. Which yeah. is another variable that if it... And that was one thing I was going to ask you too, because a lot of what you were describing there, that's, a, that's assuming the same muzzle velocity. Correct. And so... But I could see that's something that could also change. Oh, yeah. So if... And, and same gun, same location just different temperature. So without even changing elevation, if I'm doing low data on on a cartridge that doesn't have a spectacularly temp-stable powder um, in July, and then I go do this again in November, and there's like a a 60 or 70 degree temperature difference potentially, uh, yeah, that could be huge. Your muzzle velocity would very, very likely be quite quite dramatically different. Is there any uh, benefit to somebody, say doing load development and sticking their whole rifle and everything like that before shooting in a Yeti 125 full of ice? I mean, does anybody do anything like this to try and at least get closer during the summer months? Because when fall hits, all hell breaks loose, right? I mean, you're trying to work, you're trying to see the family, you're trying to go on these hunts, you're orchestrating all these logistics to try and get out there to, to, to then, you know, be trying to do all this load development and chronograph. It's just not that realistic for a lot of people. Some people, May have the time, but yeah. In short, I don't think it's common practice. I think it's something that you can do. And if you hop online and you do some looking around, there's some phenomenal basement ballisticians out there that have done this. They'll they'll freeze their ammo. They'll allow their ammo to warm up, and they'll log the temperature of the the round as it was chambered and fired over the chronograph. And they'll they'll create a muzzle velocity slash temp table um, and point out these differences. One, mm-hmm. I think in in a uh, Bigger discovery of powder stability um, with respect to temperature, but two, just to high, or, yeah, highlight the the egregious difference that could occur. Um, when when you're selecting a powder, I imagine there's got to be some sort of data on like, yes, this is a more temp stable powder. I mean, I guess I can go off of like, you know, pretty much used, not 100 percent, but nearly 100 percent factory loads. Yeah, right. Shot the same ammo when it was zero degrees. Mm-hmm. And I've shot that same ammo when it was 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. And, like, other than adjusting my numbers for, like, uh, into the ballistic calculator of, like, what the temperature was or the elevation that I was going to be at, I guess not taking into consideration, like, what that ammo temperature was loaded at or what, Mm -hmm. like, the numbers were correct. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't see, like, I wasn't like, oh, man, I should have accounted for the fact that my ammo was loaded at, you know, 40 degrees. Most stuff is really quite stable. Um, Scott Parks actually pointed out to me one of the most temp-stable powders, or, or one of the powders heralded as the most temp-stable, is in fact very temp-stable until it's under huge pressure. Um, so once we get towards the very, very, very top of our load data, and, and we're making compressed loads and stuff, and then you can observe the temp stability go wild. Um, so yeah, there's data out there that 
that will tell you like this is a very like thermally stable powder like if you shoot it in the cold if you shoot it in the hot you're really not going to see this big difference there's tons of publications out there i don't think what a lot of those take into consideration is like the load density and what happens when we fluctuate that when Mm -hmm. we go to like a compressed load does it change um and this is stuff that you would have to sit and discover with the use of a chronograph possibly yeah. any cooler. And usually your factory stuff isn't going to be really pushing the boundaries. No, stuff. generally not. Yeah. Generally not. And a lot of the a lot of the factory stuff out there nowadays is very good, is very consistent, is loaded intentionally with temp stable powders. But every every cartridge loading requirement for whatever powder it is, whatever bullet weight you're running or bullet style is another variable to keep track of. Something I do want to do is the old Yeti cooler full of ice and see what happens when I IR read my temperature on my my ammo, see what yeah. it looks like over a chronograph. I'd especially like to do it with the muzzle loader, which is something that's pretty wild. But yeah, very fascinating stuff. Lot lot in the mix. It's really more than just you know, like we were saying. It's 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 not as though your ammunition and all that knows that suddenly it's in the west. It doesn't have a compass in it. You right. know, but but it there's a yet. lot that changes yet. Uh, there's a lot that changes. Mm-hmm when you go from one side of our country to another, it really doesn't matter whether you're going east to west or west to east, like you said earlier, Mark. I mean, it's just the fact that the fact that there's all these environmentals and things that can change can dramatically influence things. And uh, it's worth keeping in mind. Oh, yes. W- like, would you say that density altitude is like the number one factor, though? Yeah, so that's a good point, too. So, like, what do the numbers mean? Like, humidity, uh, pressure, temperature, et cetera. Um, I wanted to jump into tools that are going to help you factor all this in or out. If you get like a Kestrel 5700 Elite that's compatible with something like our Fury AB binoculars, uh, the DA reading on there is magical. Using that device in the field in conjunction with a really adept solver like that on the AB, you're getting live data corrected right there which is a super handy tool. And if you read a lot uh, online where people start talking about, oh, how do you factor it in? How do the calculations work? Because calculating DA is something so far above my level of comprehension in the longhand form that I don't know how pilots fly planes, to be like, like being really honest. So a tool like a Kestrel that has the ability to read and display DA at your location uh, once it's acclimated is going to be enorm- yeah. like an enormous benefit to have and they've um, got snake do they really at least the one that i was using the other week had snake on it i think if somebody said if you download the update they put snake on it like That's the old fantastic. nokia phone yeah snake game the old brick phone mm-hmm. i when we were at that uh Oof. prs match jim you know because we're like was... up next to be like hey jim we got to figure out the dope because we had we had some dope discrepancies ryan and uh, but then Jim was he'd yeah. be playing snake, and then when people over here, oh wait, hold on, I can't go yet. My snake is super long. It's <laughs> like ears perk up a little bit. And... I should say you, you don't need to buy a fifty seven hundred Elite too. So any of the Kestrel weather stations that that do have the ability to display DA would do this. It's nice with something like the Elite and a, a pair of Fury ABs, for example, because it's pushing that data right to your range finding bino, mm. which is very handy. A lot going on. Very interesting product. Um, takes a lot of the question marks out of the equation. So yep. indeed. Yeah. Very nice. I'll Thank you, Ryan. The last couple of 10 minute talks we did uh, actually ended somewhere near 10 minutes. So it's good to have a good old 16 minute, 10 minute talk. And uh, oh, we buy, buy the time. You know. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I, just, I just never want them to end. As uh, as usual, if anybody out there has any questions around this sort of thing, it's actually something that we answer all the time. Ryan alluded to that earlier. Always give us a call if uh, this is something you're curious about, you want to really dig deeper on. Folks like Ryan and many of our other tech support guys at 800-426-0048, extension 5. I feel like I'm uh, at the end of American Idol right now, Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. Uh, all standard text message and data rates apply. Um, vote for Ryan. <laughs> vote for Ryan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you can do that. We always love going over that stuff with you guys. Also, feel free to comment below if you're watching on YouTube or head over to Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Bye.